0: La <laughs>
1: There's something wrong with the world today. The light bulb's getting dim. There's meltdown in the sky. If you can judge a wise man by the color of his skin, then mister, you're a better man than I. Welcome, one and all, to Backtrack's Aerosmith Revisited. My name is Corey Morissette, joined as always by Scott Haskin. How you doing, Scott?
2: Corey, I'm doing great, my friend. Uh, first, before we get into anything Aerosmith, I want to say congratulations on 100 episodes. Of, and the podcast will rock.
1: That's right. We, that's right. That's right. We recorded our 100th episode uh, this week. Uh, we kind of handed the reins over to our good friend, Kevin Brown. And uh, we really didn't quite know what he had in store. He had us do a little homework. We had to do a, a top 10 songs, uh, our top 10 Van Halen songs that we've covered on the show already, the first 99 uh, tracks uh, and a couple other uh, questions that we did. And it was a heck of a lot of fun. I thought it would be a 20, 30-minute show turned into a, a three-hour show. So that's going to be split into two parts uh, that you can find wherever you get your podcast from. But that's why Scott and I are recording very late this week. Actually, that's a Thursday night as we sit down here.
2: That's right. And we usually record on Monday. But I think you could pretty much count on any show that's not just a normal you and Mark spinning a song to go about three hours. That seems (laughs) to be about the average for that seems to be the norm. Yeah,
1: Yeah. you are 100 percent right.
2: I'm very excited for you guys. It's really weird to see how big the wheel looks now because you guys don't have that many songs left. You've you've covered a good majority of their catalog. 27.
1: We're at 27 yeah. songs left. So we got a few more left on this one, Scott. So you're not getting rid of me that easy. We got a ways not to go uh, when, when it comes to Aerosmith. I haven't even done like the the final tally. Uh, it's got to be around 200 uh, tracks that we're talking about for, for Aerosmith here. And we're on uh, show 83 so oh yeah uh, a little way a little ways to go a little ways to go
2: we got i would say probably three years maybe maybe yeah give or take yeah
1: it's gonna be a fun three years i'm looking forward to it last week if you remember we covered uh never loved a girl from uh, honking on bobo uh pretty good
2: track did you ever afterwards did you go back and listen to the original i did and you know what i i enjoyed her version of it but let me ask you a question Corey, because i i really go back and forth with this Do you tend to like the first version you've heard of a song more than another version, whether it's the original or not? That's interesting. I don't think, I don't know if I've ever stopped to think about it that way, but I
1: think you're probably right that I I maybe like the first version I heard a a little bit more than the original.
2: I liked Aretha's. It was good, but it didn't have that. There was a spark, I think, that Aerosmith had in this one that I don't, I didn't quite feel from her. Nothing wrong with her version whatsoever, but I think they just put a little extra sass in it.
1: Well, and you said a line in that show last week that I think that really hit home for me that really summed up that song when you said, Stephen Tyler is singing it like he lived it. Yeah. Like not even wrote it like he lived it. And I thought, mm-hmm. yeah, you're exactly right. A great, great cover. Uh, nevertheless, it's not on the mixtape.
2: <laughs> right, well, yeah, but I mean, it's up against such stiff competition that, you know, it's yeah. it's as we always say, it's an uphill battle, even though we've been changing out songs like, you know, like dinner napkins lately. Oh,
1: I know when we put love me two times on uh, Kevin Brown, for one, got very upset. Does not like the doors, turns out. Oof. Wow. Yeah.
2: So is that going to be your next pick <laughs> for Ultimate Catalog Clash?
1: <laughs> well, and we, we were talking and he said, well, he, each of us should get like one veto. So he might... But uh, I know there there's a few bands that he really really hates that I really like. I'm I'm not a huge Doors fan, so I would throw it out there just to piss him off. But I really like Def Leppard, and he hates them. Uh, right. I, I would put them out there, and he's not a Metallica fan, and I am. Uh, wow. So I don't know which which band he's going to use his veto on.
2: It's it's interesting with bands like the Doors. I I greatly appreciate their musical significance. I, I I'm grateful for what they did. Uh, how they influence music. I think they're a very important band in our history, but that doesn't mean I particularly enjoy, it's like, it's like opera. I can have great appreciation for the work that operas go through to become what they are, but that doesn't necessarily mean I want to sit down and listen to one.
1: Oh, I totally agree. And I feel the same way about the band Rush and I'm going to be on a Rush podcast uh, next week. I think it is. So uh, that's going to be interesting.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to going on that show, too. Uh, Again, another band that I don't know that much about, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm always happy to dig in. In fact, I had sent uh, Chaz a note uh, and and said, you know, just something to think about, because Rush has a, a certain following, but they don't have a lot of commercial hits, at least not as far as I know. So you're really Tom Sawyer and Limelight are probably the most known and I said, you you might want to take those songs off of your wheel and maybe consider doing those for like big episodes, like an anniversary or, or something special. And that started a whole debate on the show as to what else they should withhold from the wheel and do special episodes on. And huh? uh, I think that's going to carry over to next week's episode. So it's kind of fun. Oh, great. That's
1: the one I'm on. Thanks, Scott. If you're <laughs> giving me more work to do, you've well, already caused me to do an edit on this show. Like already we're recording here. Been rolling tape for 10 minutes. We've been on for two
2: because you kept fucking me up. (laughs) Well, if I'm not, I just want to show you your value. I don't feel like the doors. Uh, I I appreciate it. It's not as
1: if I have like a giant, you know, 100th episode of a podcast I have to edit for tomorrow morning or a live show that's going to go three hours, like you said, ready to go for Friday night. That's tomorrow night. With yeah. a massive panel of 10 people. Uh, I, I, yeah, I have nothing going on. Thank you. I, I appreciate that.
2: But this doesn't come out until Tuesday. So you've got, you've got time to have some whiskey and recover and, um, you know, get, get a couple hours of sleep. It actually doesn't come
1: out till Wednesday. You don't even know what day the show well, drops, that's right, Scott? Wednesday, yeah. No. Do I even know you anymore?
2: I'm Scott. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's on
1: the dice, Corey? Hey, we got some songs on the dice. Why don't I bring those in and we can talk about them? Currently, we have Think About It from Night in the Ruts, Living on the Edge from uh, get, a grip. get a Grip, We All Fall Down from uh, Music from Another Dimension, Back in the Saddle from Rocks, Loving an Elevator from Pump, and Something from Music from Another Dimension. Uh, Scott Haskin, uh, out of those six, uh, what are you in the mood to hear tonight?
2: You know, last week, I think it was, you were, you voted for uh, Love in the, Love in an Elevator, and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's got such a great swing feel to it. I would love to hear that song tonight.
1: That That's a great one. Uh, I, I was thinking that one too, but you picked it. So I'm going to pick something else. Uh, I'm going to go with one of your uh, choices, actually, Back in the Saddle. I, I want to hear a big song tonight. We we haven't covered a hit in a long time, and I'm just looking, look, looking back. When was the last time we, we did... You know, Nine Lives was a single. That was 10 episodes ago. That was show 72, but it's not a, a big song. Um, geez, yeah. Jaded was the biggest single off of, uh, off of Just Push Play. That was show 64. Yeah. Um, no, God, it, you, it has been see, a while.
2: You See Me Crying before that. Um, yeah. Yeah, because Hearts Done Time wasn't released. Um, I don't think... was Simura- Simurai wasn't a single, was it? No. No. Nope. Yeah, so you're right. It, it has been weeks
1: then tonight's got to be the night. What do you say? We'll get Steven Tyler all warmed up and we'll throw it over. Him. And we are going to come up with living on the edge. This is a Scott Haskin uh, pick. You put on the dice a couple of weeks ago, and it's the song that the uh, lyric I took from at the beginning of the show.
2: Well, that's just schismat.
1: I, I think it is. And I had to play a little bit of that track for the audio test there tonight. And Scott's like, oh, that's a really nice guitar tone. I'm like, well, we might be talking more about it because you put it on the dice and now we have rolled it. What do you know about living on the edge?
2: Uh, Well, I mean, I live it uh, being a Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's life. you live in Las Vegas. Moment.
1: I mean, yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I've been maced. I've been stabbed. I've been set on fire. So I, I kind of mm-hmm. feel like I have a little bit lived on the edge. Uh, I do And that's know just this last month. month. <laughs> Since my last episode came out, uh, yeah, no, this is a, a song of course I know nothing about, so I'm excited. I, I love that uh, the intro. I think the guitar sounded great, and I'm sure I'll love the bass. I tell you what, "Living on the Edge" was the first single uh, from "Get a Grip," uh, released
1: February 23rd, 1993. Uh, the uh, B sides were "Don't Stop" and "Can't Stop Missing." It was uh, written by uh, Steven Tyler, Joe Perry, and Mark Hudson. Um. Let's see. uh, According to the band's biography, it was inspired by the 1992 Los Angeles riots. Uh, He also mentions that this song features the sound of a bass drum he stole from his high school. Four (laughs) four loud beats are heard from that drum in a pause between the final verse and the chorus. And you'll know that moment we get to it. I'll pause for you, though. But you hear very four loud, distinct beats. Apparently, that's from a bass drum he stole from a high school or from his high school specifically.
2: I I could I could almost see stealing a, a marching snare. Those are a little bit deeper than regular snares, but that would be kind of hard to sneak out. A bass drum. You're you're kind of saying, "Hey, catch me!"
1: Yeah. I, I can just see him strapping it on the front and running out of the school with an old security guard chasing him. Yeah, <laughs> that's what living
2: head. on the edge is all about. There you go. But, but can you picture him running but having it strapped to his chest, going boom, 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 <laughs> while he's Absolutely. to get out the door?
1: Yeah. Speaking Steven of Tyler Stephen and Tyler? Scott Haskin, I tell you, they live on the edge.
2: We do. Uh, do we have any update on how he's, uh, how he's recovering?
1: Well, I got to tell you, I, uh, I heard a rumor. Uh, this is not substantiated in any way, but uh, you know, if you follow a fellow by the name of Aero Fanatic, he's really kind of plugged in uh, to Aerosmith, and he had heard that the rest of the 23 tour is going to be postponed to 24 to really give Steven a chance to heal his vocal cords and, and come back at full strength. Um, that's not substantiated. That that's not uh, you know confirmed by anybody. According to him and his sources, uh, the the rerouting is kind of going on as we speak. But it sounds like you know Steven's not a spring chicken, and I, I think we all get that. And I, I guess he really did a number on his on his vocal cords uh, and just tore him all to hell. So, uh, if he needs the rest of the year to heal, I say rest up and, uh, we, we want to see you out there again. Uh, you know, th- this is the last go around for the band. I really want them to add some more dates so I can go see him one more time. But, uh, if he needs the rest of uh, 2023, I say, take it.
2: Well, it's just smart business. I mean, if he's, if he's that bad off right now, then what's going to happen is he's going to go and do a show or two, and either he's not going to perform up to hundred percent, uh, because, he doesn't want to push himself, which I can't see him doing, or he's going to push himself again too far and end up back in the hospital. So better to take a little more time to heal and do it right than it is to just, okay, we got dates, so we got to get back out there. Let's uh, let's just hope you're okay and we can get through the tour. Uh, it, it sucks for the people that have tickets, that have scheduled everything, but uh, in the end, you're more likely to see a show than you are if they just push things.
1: That's right. So... Uh, All the best to Steven Tyler. Uh, Please uh, rest up. And if we got to wait to 2024 uh, to get you back on the road, so be it. I know I read an interview with the uh, replacement drummer, and he was talking about how Joey uh, Kramer uh, got injured uh, right before the 2019 Vegas residency. And then shortly after that, his wife uh, tragically, not expectedly passed away. So that's why he's not currently on the tour. But uh, uh, the, the drummer then went on to say, you know, I really kind of hope this is one of those farewell tours that goes on for like four or five years because I just got here. I've only played like you know four or five <laughs> shows with Aerosmith. I want to keep going. I know they're tired and they're old and stuff, but uh, I'm ready to go for the next uh, decade if they want to. One of those never-ending farewell tours like the Eagles went on. That's still right. going on, I think.
2: And speaking of never-ending farewell, tour, farewell tours, I just read that Ozzy is going to go back in the studio and do another album and uh, his 60th farewell tour, I think.
1: Yep. Yeah, he said he wants to do at least uh, at least one more tour. Like he's ready to hit the road again. So yeah.
2: he he can barely stand. But sure, why not? If if he can get through the show and uh, perform at a level that he feels is up to standard, I think that's great. I I I think about you know whether he can stand or not not being so much of an issue as far as. The, the potential performance, but it does make a difference as a vocalist because your diaphragm is not aligned the same way as it is if you're standing and and uh, that can make a difference. Uh, i think if if he can go out with quality and do some shows I'm one hundred percent for it if he if he's doing something that is below par, then I would say it's not a good idea.
1: You know what we were talking about that uh, before we got on the uh, call tonight Scott about uh, Phil Collins because mm-hmm. um he did a a, a solo uh, tour where he had to sit in a chair. He obviously can't play drums anymore. He's had a ton of health issues. And then he just did the final uh, Genesis tour uh, where he sat in a chair and his son Nick took over on drums. But he's sitting down the whole time and he's singing. And would you want to go see a a band like like Genesis if if Phil Collins is just sitting in a chair? Like, he's still Phil Collins. He's still cracking jokes. He still sounded pretty good, like for Mm -hmm. an old guy with a ton of health issues. But, you know, it's just not quite the same. Is that the kind of performance you would shell out a couple hundred bucks to watch?
2: Yeah, that's such a tough question, because uh, especially with a band like Genesis, because they're such an epic band. I did not I've never seen them live, so it would be hard to say I wouldn't want to go see them. But would I would I want my memory to be I I would suppose this would be a rare case where I would probably read some reviews and see what people are saying. And and if they thought, you know what, despite the fact that he's not physically 100 percent, it was still an amazing show. I would probably say it's it's worth giving it a shot, um, but mm-hmm. if the reviews are, you know, it's just it's just not Genesis. It's not up to snuff. Um, I, I know the guys in Deep Purple have said as they're on their their long goodbye tour for the last few years, um, they they've kind of said, you know, if if any of us are getting to the point where we're not performing to par, then we're just going to stop. That's going to be what what will stop us, and I I have to respect that um, because it's not fair to charge people and not give them their money's worth. Right. And I could get behind that. But I I have to kind of say, for the band, I think they have their own integrity. I think if they couldn't perform up to a reasonable par, I don't think they'd do it. Hopefully
1: that's the case. But what do you say? uh, uh, We've talked enough about depressing stuff about, uh, you know, Our old rock heroes who just can't quite (laughs) go out and do what we want them to do anymore, thanks to uh, the ravages of time. But tell you what, back in 1993, Aerosmith was arguably the biggest band in the world. Uh, This was a monster album for him. This is the first single uh, hit number 18 on the Billboard Hot 100. This is Living on the Edge.
0: today I don't know what it is something's wrong all
1: right before we get into the big uh, chorus I'll, I'll pause it here for you Scott what do you got
2: I, I was actually just getting ready to uh to ask you to stop um this is really interesting it has almost a Celtic feel to it with that bass drum uh, being the way it is, I think it's, it's just missing, you know, some sort of like a ethnic flute or bagpipe to really seal in that, that sound. But it definitely has a very unique feel for Aerosmith. I love the layering of it. Uh, I like the vocal harmonies. I like the, the change in pitch when the harmony comes in. Uh, this is off to an incredible start. Oh, wait till you get to the chorus. Uh, this song won Aerosmith
1: a Grammy Award for best rock performance by duo or group with vocal. Mm. And uh, speaking of vocal, you're about to hear why.
2: How about that chorus that is a kick-ass chorus i love the change in tone um i don't normally like when a drummer rides a crash cymbal like that but they've got it pushed back far enough in the mix where it doesn't really intrude on things you know i i did the uh the magician's podcast the Rai Heep show and, and russell gilbrook their current drummer is uh, big on doing that kind of thing and it's very careful mixing, because you want to get the feel of it. But it's also just a slight change in volume really makes it override the song. Uh, I think the mix on this is fantastic. Uh, I do recognize the chorus. I have heard this song before. Uh, but yeah, the feel of it, it, it has a feel almost like, um, almost like Hangman Jury, where everything's just blended together, and it just moves so smoothly in the chorus. Uh, I'm really digging the song, Corey. That's a great comparison because like Hangman Jury, the, the drums are
1: very much bass and snare, bass mm-hmm. and snare. Like like he said, like the cymbals are, are so far back. All you're hearing is the boom, chick, boom, yeah. chick. Yeah, which is really, really cool.
2: Almost like Ragdoll where where the, the kick yes. and snare are just so much in the front, um, but uh, but not overshadowing the song by any means. And, and Stephen's voice sounds really good on this. Um, they have him a little bit further in the front than normal, it seems like. But it, it works for this song.
0: Something wrong with the world today. The light bulbs getting dim. There's meltdown in the sky. If you judge a wise man by the color of his skin, the misty or the better man than
2: I. How about that, Tom Hamilton? <laughs> He's something, Wendy. I I love that little slide bass that he's playing. Um, That really adds an interesting dynamic to the song. Because if he'd have just played like straight eighth notes, boom, 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 it would have been okay. But that bass style is really adding a flavor to this song that that makes it so much more interesting than it already is. Uh, I, I really dig the way these guys are when they work together like this. It feels like they're just in the studio smiling across at each other. You know, like we saw them recently in that video. That's, that's what I'm getting the feeling of from this, too, that they're just all in it together.
1: And very rarely does Tom Hamilton just play eight notes. He's always <laughs> doing something cool but with his bass line.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh, coming up to the second chorus here. I, I always like that this section kind of took you back like almost into the ruts, almost into like rocks territory where you're, you're, you're getting that kind of dirty guitar groove again and, and they bring it down. You know, tell me what you think about your situation, complication, aggravation. It's getting to you. Uh, like it, it, the next line if chicken little tells you that the sky is fallen, even if it wasn't, would you still come crawling? Like they, 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 they kind of take you down into the slums a little bit in this section. So you have this big soaring chorus and then back down into the ruts, very Aerosmith esque
2: yeah it, it almost feels like that down and dirty southern rock all of a sudden, and uh you know when when Aerosmith gets in this zone, it does feel very old school for them, but I really like it i I think it's a great change for the song. It's very unexpected, and uh they're they're one of those bands that I feel is not afraid to take some musical chances and make some dramatic changes in their songs, which just makes the songs that much more dynamic and enjoyable because especially the first time you hear it like like I've heard the song before, but I don't know the song. So this is really more of a first time here for me. And, and I have to say, I really love the changes. They're very, uh, they're not subtle.
1: Not at all. And actually, I'm just reading a, a clip here from the Rolling Stone review of Living on the Edge, uh, where the reviewer says they were, quote, playing it safe according to strict late 80s directives and the ascending into a soaring Bon Jovi-esque power corral only the gritty guitars on the bridge keep the damn thing grounded which is kind of where we are now
2: yeah i feel like even even in the verse and then you know with the the in the first verse you know there was a there was a nice change they went to a note i wouldn't have expected and then the chorus kind of does that and now they're going into a whole different part that i wouldn't have expected it's not standard songwriting nope not at all
1: if you pick up get a grip uh, the album version is uh, 607 they cut out that little tail bit of the guitar solo this is the 6 minute 21 second version which is the full version of living on the edge
2: that seems like a lot of work for no reason <laughs> i know right <laughs> because that that little part kind of bridges the gap you know it it uh, it's a warm up for for the change i really love guitar solos like this they i i don't need somebody to play fast i don't need somebody to slam in as many notes as they can I want something that makes me feel something. And that was a really good emotional solo. It fit the song very, very well. Uh,
1: I'm very much with you. Uh, the Ingve the Malsteins of the world who are like, hey, look at all the notes I can play. Uh, I get quite bored with. But if you're like a Steve Vyart, Eddie Van Halen, who can do that and tell me a story, all the better. But I gravitate to guys like Joe Perry, like Jimmy Page, like Billy Gibbons, uh, mm-hmm. guys who really just kind of you know, have that feel and, and that tone to it. One cool thing about that guitar solo in the video, uh, Joe Perry is playing on a railroad track with a freight train coming towards him. It's the exact same railroad track where they filmed the infamous train scene in the movie Stand By Me.
2: Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I, I like guitarists that, uh, you know, I, I, there's a couple of Ingvay albums I liked. I've covered them on the Haskin Cast podcast, the first couple that he did. Uh, but I think it's more just that I liked the songs. I liked the vocalist. Um, it, it isn't a matter so much of me liking his guitar style. I think the, the songs are are written well, but I think they're very overplayed. And I and I remember on pretty much every episode, I'm like, here we go again. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, in fact, the guys from the Deep Purple podcast were just at a uh, Glenn Hughes Ingve Malmsteen show, and right. they did uh, they did a show on that, and uh, not very impressed. You know, it's. No? Um, he, he's very much a showman, uh, but I, I, I think he he just thinks on a level that I think it's, it's kind of like jazz fusion. A lot of people don't understand jazz fusion. They can't grip it musically, so they shy away from it. And I think he is like the jazz fusion musician of rock and roll, where he he writes stuff that may be technically amazing. And I remember watching Terry Bazio Terry Bozio videos, too, when, when I worked at the music store. Um, he writes some amazing drum parts. He was a drummer for Missing Persons and, you know, did some stuff with Frank Zappa. He can write some amazing stuff, but where do you apply it musically, you know, with, with other musicians? And I kind of feel like is in that category. Like, you can play some amazing stuff, but that doesn't make it enjoyable for a lot of people to listen to.
1: Do you remember when we played a little bit of uh, the Dream On cover that uh, Ronnie James Dio did with Ingve Malmsteen playing guitar on it? Uh, yeah. And like, Dream On, very simple melody right there and there's angry
2: oh my god well and it it kind of begs the question like why would you why would you get a guitarist that won't get the song to play it i mean when you're doing a tribute yeah you you want to inject a little personal flavor but at the same point it's a classic song it's a song that it, it has to be delivered a certain way with within a certain bound of it, you know, and you know, he's just going to look at that and go, OK, I'm over here, though, <laughs> you know, and, and I play it the way I play it. So I, I don't know why you would go for a guide like that for for that kind of gig. But, uh, you know, he, there's nothing wrong with the way he plays. I just am not one that typically enjoys that overplayed style. tell me if you disagree with this, because you're, you know, you're more familiar with the band's catalog than I am. Uh, but it seems like when we have these kind of parts in, in songs, it seems like Stephen typically sings them very straightforward. There's not a lot of variance in pitch when they do these kind of breakdown sections.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think in this section, though, it, it's kind of a reprise of, of the earlier bridge, right? He's singing mm-hmm. with a lot more urgency, though like the, yeah. this is a song that has some political social commentary undertones to it. so i I was sitting there thinking like you really get that coming through like now that we're getting the reprise at the bridge, it's the same bridge, but he's singing it with a little more urgency. like he like the you know the the tone like the, like you said melody, everything's the same, but mm-hmm. you know, just uh, urgency wise he he's throwing a little bit more into it, which I think is kind of cool. So normally, I would agree with you here I think he gives us a little bit extra uh, on the on this second bridge section.
2: I think at the end of the lines, yeah, it was the first couple, the beginnings of the lines where it just kind of dawned on me where I'm like, yeah, this is kind of a standard type of of formula for him. Uh, I don't want to say formula because that's really not a good word, but uh, style, I'll say style I think is is a better selection. But uh, yeah, I I just happened to think about that. And as I was just quickly going in my head through some of the other songs, I'm like, that is a pretty common uh, performance choice for him. But yeah, I, I agree. Especially in this, this last repeat, Uh, I, I do feel a better sense of urgency, especially the last half of each line. there was the wow. bass drum <laughs> yeah and and beautifully recorded i i might add that that reverb they have on it that's not always the easiest to achieve because you have to shave off a little bit of the attack and the attack is the strike so when the stick hits the head that's the attack everything after that is decay and to really get that reverb without it clipping and causing some distortion You have to shave a little bit of that attack off or use a softer like like more like a bass drum mallet or something with felt on it um but that sounded fantastic i love that abrupt stop too i think that was such a dramatic change uh very unexpected very much to the point of what you were saying that sense of urgency that build he was bringing up to that uh from the time that we restarted the song i loved where it went uh it it went next level sense of urgency right after that and then just that stop was so powerful. Uh, you don't hear them doing that very often.
1: No, and on, that lyric is perfect too. Uh, well, we can tell them no, or we could let it go, but I would rather be a hanging on. And then there's that hard stop, like you're hanging on for yeah. dear life and you hear the wind and you're, wondering, and you're just kind of waiting, waiting, and then the big bass drum kicks in, the boom, boom, boom. We're living on the edge. Like, oh, it's masterfully done. It's probably my favorite part of the song
2: yeah i I would agree that that was fantastic but i would i would say there is not a part of this song that has let me down yet it's been really enjoyable Is he singing another track behind this going like, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: He did have that in there. Yeah, just a little, little, little screeching. He has the three. He has uh, Living on the Edge. And then he's singing, You Can't Help Yourself from falling. You Can't mm-hmm. Help Yourself at All. And then, yeah, there's a little bit of just uh, him caterwauling there in the background too.
2: You know, I'm, I'm normally not a fan of that, but I, I think that really works for this song. I think that adds, it's, it's just another next level sound to have in there. Uh, you could have also done that with a guitar track, um, just you know, playing a, a higher note uh, on mm-hmm. top of that. But there's there's a passion in his voice that I'm hearing that really just gives an, a bit more of a a powerful statement to this song.
1: I hope you like this section. Uh, this goes on for a while. We've already been listening to it for about a minute. Uh, we're 4 to 37 into the song. The song is 621. So you, you're, you're going to hear this refrain quite a bit while the song goes out.
2: Well, and, and you said this was released, right? This, this was a single? It was, yep. Yeah. Was this, the, did they do a, an edit for the thing? Because usually a single wouldn't be this long.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think the only edit on this was the 607 uh, version of the song.
2: Wow, Okay. Uh, no, I, I do like it. It is it is starting to wear a little bit on me because I think they could they could add some other things and make it a little bit more interesting, which which I've noticed they tend to do. They tend to say, hey, here's a really cool part. Let's play this for a little bit. Um, no norm, And normally in this spot, like towards the end of the song. Um, but let's see where it goes.
1: going that is living on the edge the uh full version uh from the cd get a grip the album version uh shaves 14 seconds off i still say you can cut a minute out of the end and the song is just fine
2: yeah i i like that um I don't know if it's called a build if you're in a descending scale, but they were playing the, the chords that just kept getting lower and lower. I like yeah. the idea of that, but I, I think that they really could have shaved a good minute, minute and a half off of the song. The other thing that, that I didn't like was that little bit of scatting that uh, Stephen did at the end, that what it takes, you know, uh, just yeah, yeah, damn It didn't really fit the song, I, I didn't think. No. You know, uh, I I was I was getting ready to say, you know, we might we might have a little bit of a battle for uh, the mixtape here. But um, I don't know how I feel about the last couple minutes of the song. I I, I don't think they were. That could have been done much more efficiently and it and it been more enjoyable, I think.
1: But is it enough to uh, to ruin the song for you? That's the question, because living on the edge, pretty big hit for the band, pretty uh, iconic song. Uh, If it's going on the mixtape, it would be going on side B, the all-time arrow top nine, currently populated with Let the Music Do the Talking, Chip Away the Stone, The Other Side, Home Tonight, Crazy, Eat the Rich, Kin," Shut Up and Dance, and Love Me Two Times. Scott Haskin, I believe it's your turn to go first. Uh, You know, the, the the last 60 seconds aside, think about everything else that you heard uh, about this song. And let's have a discussion.
2: Yeah, I, I think if, if you're looking at it from that standpoint, I think it's an absolutely fantastic song. I mean, it, it had me from the very beginning. Uh, I loved the changes in it. I thought there was some really nice dramatic chances that they took that really paid off. Um, but we have to take the song as the whole when we're looking at, should this be on the ultimate selections? i would say i i could probably still be convinced uh when when i'm looking at the list of songs and and how i feel about them um i think i would probably rate this the same as crazy for for me so i i might be persuaded on that one um or maybe shut up and dance uh but um yeah it would it would be a tough call but i I, I think it deserves some attention because it's just such a dynamic and interesting song from them. Uh, they they deserve some praise for the chances they took, but also kind of to be smacked around for the last minute of the song a little bit. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, I, I
1: agree with, with all that, but I'm looking at, at the list and I'm seeing love me two times on there. We just put it on uh, what three shows ago mm-hmm. doors cover, really good doors cover. When I'm thinking about the all time Aerosmith, like top nine singles, that's not one of them. Whereas Living on the Edge, I can see they're making a case for it. So uh, even though I could see Living on the Edge not making it to the final version of the mixtape because of the outro, because of the yeah but yeah but damn scatty bullshit that he does at the end there, which I never did like either. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would be okay with taking off Love Me Two Times and putting Living on the Edge on.
2: I hadn't considered that but i i won't disagree because i don't think that love me two times is going to make it to the end either uh i don't know that this one will but i i would say it's a stronger song than love me two times even though to to aerosmith's credit and this is a big thing coming from me i have not been able to get that song out of my head since we you know, I'll just be sitting here doing something and I'll be like, dent, 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 you know, <laughs> and, and that's, that's a big thing for me because my head changes constantly. Like it's just always thinking of something else. So for that to stick with me is a pretty strong point. Uh, but you're right. I think, I think, um, this chorus will stick with me. That dramatic stop with the wind and then the stolen bass drum. Uh, I love the sound of that. The production on this is fantastic. And you know, one thing that we haven't talked about a lot is Joey Kramer and i love one thing especially about his style is that he's an incredibly patient drummer he's very happy to be the backbone and not somebody who's got to do a fill into every chorus and a fill into every you know every transition he's very straightforward and then he does this one big transitionary fill that he is so good at you know uh we've heard it so many times from him and it's it's like three measures longer than a standard fill, but he's so good at that dramatic change. And he really deserves some credit in this song
1: too. 100%, drums are great, they're mixed great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Bruce Fairbairn as a producer. Uh, of course, he did Permanent Vacation, he did Pump and he did Get a Grip. And those are like the, the trifecta of new Aerosmith, that's for sure, they have been the three best records, yeah. uh, you know, since Toys in the Attic and Rocks. So uh, we're in agreement then, Living on the Edge is replacing Love Me Two Times on the mixtape. And that's really not a knock on Love Me Two Times. I love that cover. I I like it better than the Doors version, to be honest with you. I'm not a huge Doors guy, but I do love Aerosmith's version of it. But when I'm thinking all-time Aerosmith top singles, uh, I'm not thinking Love Me Two Times. I'm thinking Living on the Edge. And like you said, it may not find a spot on the final version of the mixtape, but it absolutely deserves a spot right now.
2: Well, and and I think, honestly, anything that we have on the mixtape, anything that we remove it with has got to be something pretty substantial. So I don't think that anything is a knock on on removing any song because they got on that list for a reason, you know, but we've got so much ground yet to cover. I don't know how many of these songs that are on there now on either side will still be there because we've got a long way to go.
1: Oh, I know it can be completely different Uh, when we get the show 300 and whatever. If we're looking at the mixtape, like, these are all songs from the 200s. We don't have anything from the first uh, 200 episodes on the mixtape anymore.
2: Yeah, and, and it's almost, uh, because, because music a lot of times is so much in the moment. You know, here's what this song made me feel right now, whereas I'm not as connected to the way Crazy made me feel when we listened to it, for example, because that mm-hmm. was a long time ago. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of it is the order that you draw songs in, the mood that you're in when you hear them. Uh, there's so many factors that go into it. Uh, it's, it's really not a matter of, are these the absolute best songs from Aerosmith? It's the, what was the conclusion of our consensus from the way it played out is really more what it, cause you could take 80% of their catalog probably and put it on that tape and and be perfectly happy, but it's really just, here's the way it fell and here's the way our choices ended up.
1: Exactly. I, I think back to crazy. That was what? 51 shows ago. Uh, we had John Mariano. We had our good friend Jeff Saunders and a whole pile of whiskey. And we yeah. we blasted through like three songs that night. And that was one of them. Uh, the third song we did that night was I Don't Want to Lick Your Thing, uh, mm. which I, I don't even remember recording that one. I think I was three sheets to the wind. But the, that definitely benefited from just being in a good mood with some good friends listening to Crazy. Uh, I, I see it on the list now. And I'm like, oh, that, that's not going to stay there forever. Crazy has its issues. But I remember listening to it in the moment thinking,
2: this is one of the best songs they ever did. Right. And I, and I don't just think that was the whiskey or the exhaustion. I think that you're absolutely right. And I don't, I wasn't on that show. I don't believe. Yeah. So that, so I, but I remember, I mean, you know, I listened to all the episodes as they, as they came out. Cause uh, you know, I was following the show from the beginning and um, yeah, I do remember it being a very powerful song. Uh, I like the song. I think it's a great Aerosmith song and honestly it is a great representation of them. Will it stay forever? I don't think so, but who knows? Who knows? All right. Uh, with that,
1: Scott Haskin, uh, yes, let's wrap this one up. Uh, by the way, I got to correct myself. Uh, Crazy was show 32. It wasn't in the 50s. In the th- it was 32. You came on on show 40. So that's yes. why you weren't on that episode. So that's right. Um, yeah. uh, maybe before I uh, collapse here and fuck up anymore, why don't you tell the fine folks about the Deep Dive Podcasting Network?
2: I would be happy to do that, Corey, because we've got a lot of great shows. Of course, besides this show, you and our old friend John do the show backtracks theme music covering different songs from, uh, films, which I am just enjoying the hell out of. Uh, also you do a show with our friend, Mark Kameyer and the podcast will rock. And once again, congratulations on hundred episodes. That's absolutely fantastic. Uh, I remember, you know, all the, the different milestones. I just hit uh, 350 on the Haskin cast podcast. The Uriah heat podcast was 398, uh, covering their catalog and man, every time you hit one of those milestones, you just kind of look back and go. This has been a lot of work, but every moment of it has just been worth it.
1: Yeah, you know? I cannot agree more. I, I, like 100 episodes to you is like quaint. Like, like oh, yeah, the, the, you made it to 100. Good job. Here's your, like, bronze star. Like,
2: Well, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, early this morning, there was a, a live stream of the Deep Purple podcast, and I, I tried to make those, and it was early enough for me uh, to be able to be on it. And uh, I was joking with the guys because I actually had wanted to do a Deep Purple podcast myself. But I will only do those kind of shows if I can get the endorsement of the band so I can, you know, do the show the way I want it to. And I have not been able to get that endorsement from Deep Purple. And and they were joking about there being no other show. And I said, well, I tried to take you down. You know and they said well yeah if you did uh, they're on episode they're in their 300s and they said you would have already surpassed us if you started the show this week <laughs> it's like it's not that far off really uh but you also do a show with our friend kevin uh the ultimate catalog clash you guys are currently going through genesis uh not not too far from the end but uh, you're getting there that's been yeah. amazing kevin not to be outdone by the Corey podcast universe has a couple shows on his own he's got the tom petty podcast or tom petty project and also seaside pod review uh, i did my show on uriah Heap, the the magicians podcast and even though that is pretty much done until they go back in the studio and do another album uh, that will always be there for people to enjoy uh, nate and john of course i mentioned at the deep purple podcast the simple man at skinnerd reconsidered terry t-bone mathley at t-bones prime cuts on the other side rye at sabbath bloody podcast paul joe and david at the in the lap of the pods Podcast. Also, Andy and Matt at Hawk Binge, Eric and Jonathan at Maiden A to Z, Daniel and Josh at Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate Ozzy podcast, who, as we mentioned, uh, may be going back in the studio and uh, seeing what he's got still uh, in the tank. Uh, Also, Ben and Sam at Universally Speaking, the Red Hot Chili Peppers podcast, George and Hattie at the Judas Priest cast, Clay and Rye at North by South podcast, Greg and Jonathan at So Far, So Pod, So What? Quinn at and volume for all, all things general heavy metal. Sav, Nick, Steve and Mark at the Rock Roulette podcast. Chaz and Greg at Regarding Lulu and Chaz and Shats at the Rush Rash podcast. Keep an eye out for our own Corey Morissette to be making an appearance on that show. And of course, even, uh, you know, outside of the Deep Dive podcast network, we have some friends around the world. We've got Sean Geek and Fast Brat. We have Eric at Booked on Rock. We have Ken Knapsock at Pop Rock and Radio. Go to my website, guys. Go to the Aerosmith page at scotthaskin.com, and uh, you can download Ken's uh, app through that uh, link I have there. And of course, the uh, the flagship of all Deep Dive podcasts, we have Pod of Thunder. And I'm also gonna give an extra shout out to uh, my friends Daniel Harris and Scout Taylor Compton who do the Talk Scary to Me podcast. We're coming up on Halloween. Uh, It's a great show to listen to, and they've given me plenty of shout-outs, so I'll give them one here this week. You know what? i got
1: to check that show out. Uh, My daughter, uh, my 11-year-old, is really into horror movies, and uh, we went through uh, all the newer Halloween movies. We watched some Friday 13th. She loves a good slasher flick, all the screams. She loved those, and uh, I'm I'm thinking she's got to get me more uh, into horror now, too, so I'm like, oh, that, that podcast sounds like a lot of fun. I should check that out.
2: Well, right now, they're really covering more topics outside of film because, of course, with the strike, they can't, you know, they can't have a lot of film guests on and everything's really limited. Uh, I did see from Jamie Lee Curtis today that they have a settlement discussion coming up. So hopefully, uh, especially now that the writer's strike has been settled, uh, the Actors Guild strike will be over as well. But yeah, and and I had the pleasure of meeting Danielle and Scout recently. Uh, Absolutely wonderful people. The Halloween series, however, the franchise is up for options, so we may right. very well we should put in seeing... a bid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with all my podcasting money. That's right. Uh, we we may be seeing some more Halloween stuff coming to us in the near future.
1: Yeah, I saw that the uh, leading company for the Halloween franchise is A24, and they do like a lot of smaller independent films, like uh, mm-hmm. Lady Bird and stuff like that. Right? Like they, they don't do big budget stuff. They usually don't do horror stuff either. So. That's really interesting that A24 uh, is leading uh, right now in, in getting the rights to Halloween. That'd be really cool if they got it.
2: I, I would like to see what they would do with it. Uh, I, would be, I wouldn't be I would be surprised, though, if Full Moon comes in and make a, makes a bid for it, because that's really kind of up their alley. It's a cash cow,
1: I tell you. It doesn't matter how many times they kill Michael Myers, he just keeps coming back.
2: Exactly. Just like Corey Morissette's podcast universe. Uh,
1: un- until the entire world implodes on me, which feels like it could be any minute. But before that happens... On behalf of Scott Haskin, my oh, name is wait, Corey Morrison. Corey, Corey. Oh, Jesus. Yes. Oh, we, we got a whole a piece of bunch business. of stuff to do. We got a whole bunch of stuff to do. Uh, not not uh, forgetting this either.
2: <laughs> Scott Haskin, how many times has Aerosmith performed Living on the Edge? I'm going to say this was a big one for them. I, I would love to hear a live version of this, to be honest. And I'm not big on live versions, but uh, I think this would be a fun one. I think they did this one a lot. I'm going to say... 312 times. You think that's a lot? Yeah, because they've got so many songs that they have to rotate in and out of their shows. If if they didn't have so many in their catalog to play, I, I would probably pick a higher number. But uh, I'm going to go with that.
1: Alright, well the correct number is 923 times.
2: Holy shit. <laughs> wow.
1: They first played it in 1993 and they last played it September 9th, 2023. What are the, the few shows on the Peace Out Farewell Tour?
2: Well, it's a great song to pick for their, their farewell tour, I have to say, because, you know, obviously we put it on the tape. It's a great representation for them. Um, now I really want to go see them live because I, I want to see them do the song. I, they're, they're still doing it. And like you said, you wanted to hear a
1: live version. Uh, there's a few out there. Uh, Rox Donnington has it on there. Uh, the uh, Little South of Sanity. Double Live Album has uh, Living on the Edge on there. So you can definitely check out live versions out there. Uh, I got to see him perform it live in my it was It was a great, great performance. So nice.
2: 923 times. Wow. Uh, that's that's got to be one of their top. I mean, a, a, aside from like Back in the Saddle and Toys in the Attic, that's got to be up there.
1: Well, Let's check it out here. I think I can look up their, their uh, top songs. Lit on the Edge is actually top 10. It's number 10 most mm. performed Aerosmith song uh and uh, beating it is uh well ragdoll uh you know beating it by nine performances and then you get stuff like draw the line actually their number one song i won't tell you what it is but their number one song has been played 1726 times
2: i'm going to just make a guess and, and don't tell me we'll save this for something but i'm gonna guess it's back in the saddle
1: okay that is your guess that's my guess okay do, do you want me to tell you if you're right or wrong okay very wrong very wrong.
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is it Toys in the Attic? Nope. Back in the saddle's yeah. top 20. Okay. Toys in the Attic is top 10.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
2: I don't know. I mean, there's so many it could be, but I, I, I have to go back to, like, earlier albums because they, that would have the, the best chance of being played the most amount of times. But, I mean, they've done so many shows. Even if they didn't start playing something until the 90s, it could still be in the thousands.
1: Oh, easily. Like, I'm looking at uh, Stop Messing Around, the show that Joe did uh, as much oh, yeah. as he humanly could, is number 16 uh, on their most wow. played list. That's 762 times.
2: Which is hopefully where
1: it will end. It has to. And Bright Light Fright, I think, was 15 times.
2: Yeah, right? Like, where's the where's the sanity in that? I know, right? But you also Crazy. you also have to think, too, about the, the fact that their state of mind wasn't always the clearest when they're picking set lists. And, you know, it's not like they're looking at the set list and going, you know, these would be good songs or let's do something different or whatever. I mean, you're you're tied into we have to do certain songs, otherwise people will be upset. So we're locked into certain things. then there's the I want to do this song pick. Then there's the I don't care what you guys want to do. I just want to play. Uh, there's yeah. so much that goes into those set lists. So um, it's interesting where it comes out.
1: All right. Well, Scott, we do have one last piece of business to take care of, and that means uh, you have to replace Living on the Edge on the Dice for next week. So I do. your last uh, couple of choices here uh, have been uh, big hits. Are you going to go the big hit route again? Or are you going to go with something a little more obscure? We have a lot of current or like newer Aerosmith on there. We only have one song before 87 on there right now. Or it's two. Sorry, we have two mm-hmm. uh, back in the saddle and think about it. So what do you think? An older, newer, which way you lean it?
2: You know, I, uh, I think we've had some good luck with the covers, so I'm going to go back to Music from Another Dimension and pick Can't Stop Loving You featuring Carrie Underwood. And I know that that's not a cover, but it, it has another artist involved. So I think yes. this would be an interesting thing to, uh, to check out, and um, we'll see how it goes.
1: One of the uh, singles uh, from uh, Music from Another Dimension, and uh, around that time, Stephen was leading more country, uh, hence uh, Carrie Underwood. Uh, performing on that one so i'm
2: looking forward to seeing her performance as part of the uh, gray cup this year i have to think it was her performance on the netflix series cobra kai at the end of season four that pushed her over the edge clearly clearly (laughs) she was (laughs) so we now that no, nobody
1: at all. But now we have three songs from music from another dimension on the oh, dice for do, next week. Yeah. So we, we gotta hit one of them for crying yeah. out loud. We oh, gotta get sure. rid of that record. Yeah. But until then, on behalf of Scott Haskett, my name is Corey Morrett. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, let's give the final word to Steven Tyler.